It is good to have you with us, whether you're on campus or whether you're online with us today. We are thrilled that you've chosen to worship Jesus Christ. We're in the middle of a series that we've called Essentials. Now, the reason we've called it Essentials is because it it comes out of a letter that was written in the first century by a group of people in the city of Jerusalem, people who had been related to Jesus like his brothers, uh, people who had been followers of Jesus in his likely ministry like his disciples, and then those in Jerusalem who had come to know Jesus after his resurrection and after the day of Pentecost. And they had been, if you would, the mother church that had, that had taken this gospel that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son so that if anyone believes in them, they, they might have life and never die. And they'd taken that gospel and they shared it with people in their own circles. And then through the work of the Holy Spirit, they had shared that same message with people from different backgrounds and different nationalities. And for over a decade, it had been growing and growing in acceptance among people who had no Hebrew heritage. They, they had no concept of the temple in Jerusalem or synagogue life in the cities where Jewish people were gathered. And so those new believers, those people who were not from that same background, had some questions about what it meant to be followers of Jesus. And so they sent those questions to those people in Jerusalem, and they gathered together in Jerusalem, and they, and they sought God's face to answer those questions. In the process, those people in Jerusalem demonstrated love, and they demonstrated grace. But they also wrote a letter. It's now an ancient letter, a first century letter that they wrote to these people who were asking the questions. And James, the brother of Jesus, was the one who kind of formulated the the letter. And and so we've been looking at that letter thinking that perhaps, just just perhaps, that if those were the essential things for new believers to to know in in the first century, that in the 21st century, it would be amazing for us to see exactly what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to live the way He wants us to live, with love and grace in our life. And last week, we, we noted that, that the first of the four things that they told these Gentile people, these non-Jewish people to do, was to abstain from food that had been sacrificed to idols. Now, these dietary requirements, they they weren't necessarily just about diets because many of you, in fact, I would say most of you listening to me today here or online, most of you have never eaten any food that was sacrificed to an idol. That's probably not happened in your world, okay? You've not come up on a pagan temple and seen food that was left there and said, oh, that looks scrumptious. Um, I think I'll take that, all right? In fact, I've, I've been to some pagan temples in my travels around the world, and I'll be honest with you, I haven't seen anything that looked like I wanted to eat it uh, in, in those places. But, but what we discovered last week was that, that this is the thing where it's not just about what is physically there, but it's about what is spiritually there. And so we discovered that really what, what the Holy Spirit was saying to the church in Jerusalem and the church in Jerusalem was saying to the church in the rest of the world is that you've got to be devoted to Jesus Christ entirely. That, that, that really what God is asking is that you have no other gods before Him. And then the next thing that they tell the church is this, and it kind of sounds strange, 
They said, look, don't eat the food that's been sacrificed to idols, and, and don't eat any food that's been strangled. What in the world does that have to do with our life in the 21st century? I mean, who do we care if they strangled the beef or they strangled the chicken or whatever they did? Hey, the meat's on the plate. Let's eat, right? Except that that's not entirely true. Because while it's not just about the literal stuff, it is about what's really important in our life. And I'll be real candid with you. I spent a, a lot of time the last few weeks wrestling with this. I've read all the classic commentaries, and I've done the word study in the Greek, and, and I've looked at the Hebrew words that are kind of behind the Greek words in the New Testament, and, and I'll, I'll be really candid with you. It took me a while. I'm asking lots of questions. I mean, are these just dietary requirements? Is this just something that's happening? And, and then suddenly as I'm looking at the word for strangled in the Greek New Testament, it began to look a lot like another word that I had seen. The other word that I had seen is a word that is used in the Greek to describe the Spirit of God. And then it clicked in my brain. And what I want to suggest for our consideration today is that, is that what James and the disciples in Jerusalem were saying to the church in the Gentile world wasn't so much literally about what we eat or don't eat as much as it was about where we place our emphasis of life. So we say, hey, don't, don't, don't give anything priority over God. Remember, God is in charge of your life. And this concept of strangled, maybe we should probably understand that. What they're really talking about is to give, give a sense of understanding the breath of God. I don't know if you've had the experience of being with someone when they pass away or not. As a pastor, I've, I've had that experience a number of times. And I'll be real candid with you. It's one thing to sit in a hospital room or a hospice room or, or to be in someone's home as someone is breathing their last breath as a pastor. But it was a totally different experience to be sitting next to the bed when my mother passed away. To be sitting right next to her, leaning over into her face, telling her how much I loved her and reminding her that her husband of 50 plus years, my father, was waiting for her on the other side in a body that was brand new and that she would get one too. And, and there was this holy moment. But can I tell you the thing that was the same in that moment that was in all the other rooms I've been in? It was... I knew, I knew that my mom was no longer with me when she stopped breathing. When she stopped breathing. And for, for those of us who would look at these, these things that are essential in our Christian life, we, we've got to understand that, that what God wants to do in your life is He wants to breathe life into you. In fact, that's how He created you. And so this morning, I, I want to take a little bit of a risk and, and run through some scriptures that will let us understand why in the world it's essential for us to know that God's Spirit is breathing in our life. We've been living in a world for the last year 
where suddenly the, the terms I can't breathe are, are political and, and they're, they're all about certain things that happened to George Floyd in a very horrible accident, and not accident, a very horrible situation last year where a man was murdered in front of us. And to hear that I can't breathe, can I tell you something? I think perhaps the Spirit of God is saying to the people of God who are in the midst of a pandemic, I can't breathe into you, new life because you won't listen to me. You won't allow me to breathe into you. But it's essential. If we're going to be the followers of Jesus Christ in the 21st century, it's essential for us to put God first in everything, not eat anything that's devoted to an idol, and it's essential for us to not eat anything where the Spirit of God has been has been strangled out of it, not to live our life in such a way that we remove God from the relationships, that we remove God from the life. So I want to suggest these things to you this morning for your consideration that perhaps, just perhaps today, God is trying to say to you, I want to breathe into your life. I want to teach you how to breathe through my Spirit. I want you to experience God in such a way that it changes everything. See, the breath of God's Spirit is what gives us life. That's why it was so powerful for me to sit at my mother's bedside and to literally feel her last breath on my face. And then there wasn't anymore. And I knew. She was alive somewhere else, but she wasn't alive here. And it, it all starts in a passage in Genesis if you're a note taker today, I really want to encourage you to take these notes and then use them throughout this week. If you're not a note taker, I just want to encourage you to listen really, really well because we're going to go through four different scriptures from the very first book of the Bible all the way into the New Testament. And we're going to look at the places where the breath of God breathes in us, where the Spirit of God is not strangled out of our life. Look at the first one. When no bush of the field had yet sprung up in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. And there was no man, no person to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. In Genesis chapter 2, the very first book of the Bible, right after that chapter 1 that we talked about last week, it says, in the beginning God, those famous four words that shape everything for those of us who are followers of Jesus. In that next chapter, the story's told to us, we don't even have life until there's breath. For those of you who've been in the room when a child is born, <laughs> there is a moment. I still remember when my oldest son was born. And there was that, that moment. There was a moment where I was scared to death that Becky was going to die, the baby was going to die, I was going to die, everybody was going to die in the room. It was just that, that moment. But then there was the next moment where suddenly there was this life. And what the doctor said to me was, you want to see your child? 
See, when, when God created the world and God in the beginning shaped everything, there came a moment when God said, you know what? I need somebody. I need someone with my image in them. I need something, someone with some of my spirit in them. And what he chose to do was he chose to breathe. When you look at your life, I really want you to think about the fact that you don't have physical life if God doesn't give you his breath so that you breathe. But can I also tell you that you don't have spiritual life unless you allow the Spirit of God to breathe in you, unless you allow Him to give you breath. So the breath of God's Spirit, it, it gives us life, but that's not all it does. No, 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 the breath of God's Spirit gives us life, and then sometimes in life we face difficulties, we, we face situations kind of like the last year where everything's been turned upside down and everything is different, and now, now suddenly we're all trying to figure our way back through it, and, and we're trying to listen to the Spirit of God that has given us life, and, and sometimes, sometimes we get wrapped up in seeing the problem. And, and, and we forget that the God who breathes life into us, he, he can, also, can also set us free. That the Spirit of God can set us free from whatever it is that holds, whether it's fear, anxiety, worry, whatever's bothering you, whatever's in your life, abuse, pain, suffering. God, God is the God who made you, and God is the God who knows you, and God is the God who breathes His Spirit into you so that you have life. And he will not ever leave you or forsake you. That's the story of the children of Israel in the Old Testament. Over and over and over again, they, they forget that God is the one who brought them into being. God is the one who gave them life. And over and over again, they, they think like we think in the 21st century. Hey, I got this. I can do this. I can make this happen. Just let me have a shot at it. I can figure it out until you can't. And there was a moment for those Hebrew children, a moment in their history that, that would become a pivot point for them that, that even today is still recognized by the people of that heritage. It was a moment when they had been wrapped up in slavery for decades in a place called Egypt. They had been abused. They had been overworked. They had been taken for granted. They, they had done so much, and yet, and yet they were never, ever really respected and there was a time when God said, you know, that's enough. I've heard the cry of my people who've been oppressed. I've heard the cry of my people who've been put down. I've heard the cry of my people who are being ostracized. I've heard the cry of my people who are wounded and weary and hurting. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deliver them from that captivity. And, and he sent a guy named Moses, a guy who knew about what it meant to be a failure. I mean, he'd been given all the right opportunities. God had rescued him from a little, little basket in the bulrushes as a baby when all the babies of his heritage were being slaughtered and infanticide. And somehow God, in his wonderful wisdom, had shown this little baby to the daughter of the Pharaoh. And he was raised with all the privilege of rank and prestige and power in Pharaoh's house, educated, and given power. And then one day when he realized who he really was and he saw the, the pain and the suffering that was going on, he tried to do it himself, kind of like a lot of us have tried in the last year. We're going to fix this thing. We're going to make this right. 
We're going to do all these things and do them better because we're smarter than the people who came before us. That's where Moses was. But you know what? He wasn't smarter than God. And when he tried to fix it, he ended up, he ended up killing a man. And then after he killed the man, there were other people who saw him kill the man and they held it over his head, and now suddenly Moses was afraid. He'd thrown everything away, and so he ran away, and for 40 years he was on the backside of a desert. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe in the last year you've tried to fix your life. Maybe in the last year you've tried to fix your stuff. Maybe you're one of those people who's like, you know what, just let me at it. I can do this. But I need to let you know, without the breath of God giving you life through His Spirit, you will never make it right. You're not any smarter than Moses. You don't have any more power than he had. And he blew it, and you'll blow it. And you'll end up just like he did on the backside of a desert until God speaks to you. And then God will speak to you, and he will send you to do something that now you're thinking, I can't do. Because now Moses hears God say, hey, I want you to go back to Egypt, and when you get back to Egypt, I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses is like, no, if I go back over there, they're going to put me in jail. They're going to kill me. It is not going to be pleasant. And, and in the result, God uses a broken person to breathe life into broken people. And he sets them free. But there's a moment. There's a moment when, when Moses and the people of Israel who think they've been set free by Pharaoh. Now, Pharaoh's let them go after all the plagues and all the pain and suffering of the first Passover and all the death and destruction that the Egyptians had faced because the Hebrews were there. And now they're standing on the banks of a river. You remember the story? Pharaoh's army's coming after them. Pharaoh had, he had second thoughts. He sent them out to get them. And and now here are Moses and the people, and the people are looking at Moses going, you've brought us out here this far and so we can die here? You should have left us there. But look what happens when God sets his people free. From Exodus chapter 14, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night long and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. What happened? God breathed. God sent his wind. God took the wet bottom of a river and made it dry land so that they could, they could cross over. I had a, a college student say to me one time, well, now, Pastor, I've, I've read some material that tells me that, that you know what, those, that, that, that reed sea that, that we call the Red Sea, it, it really never gets really, really bad except flood time. And we don't know that that was flood time. And, you know, it, it's possible that, that that wind could have just come up and dried the land and the children of Israel gone over. And I'm like, yeah, really, you've been around a river much? Overnight? Well, you know, it could be a natural phenomenon. Those kind of things happen, Pastor. I was like, yeah, okay, let me get this right. You're going to tell me that's a natural phenomenon that they could cross over on a, a piece of land that had been dried out by nature, but then you're not going to admit that by the same nature, 
and an inch of water, all those Egyptian soldiers were going to die? Because that's the next part of the story. And what I'm here to let you know this morning is that it's essential for you not only to know that God is first in your life, but to allow the Spirit of God to breathe life into you and to allow the Spirit of God to set you free no matter what pain, no matter what abuse, no matter what obstacle you've been in. I want you to know with God's Spirit you can breathe. And no one can take that breath from you because that breath comes from Him. And it's essential for us as followers of Jesus Christ to not only learn to let the Spirit of God teach us to live in step with the Spirit, but also also to know that He's going to set us free. Friend, there's coming a day when there won't be a pandemic. There's coming a day when, when the pain we've encountered will go away. And the Spirit of God that that gives us life and the Spirit of God that breathes freedom into our very soul. It also, it's going to empower us to live, to live with a purpose, to live the way you were created to live. Because the same God who created humanity in His own image The same God who set the Hebrew people free. That same God sent his one and only son, Jesus. And he came born in a manger, living in poverty, raised in a loving home, and then sent out by the Spirit of God to share the love of God. So much so that he would tell people, you want to know what God looks like? Look at me. (laughs) You want to know what your heavenly Father really acts like? Watch the way I act. You want to know who God is? Get to know me. And and when he did, some people gathered around him. At first a few, and then thousands, and then multitudes. But then the pressure came. You know the story. He died on a cross for you and me. He died on a cross, a criminal's death, a horrible death painful suffering for hours, beaten, skin shredded, suffocating in his own bodily fluids. I can't breathe happened to our Savior Jesus. And in that process, in that process, the Spirit of God The Spirit of God made redemption for the entire world. Jesus paid the price for your sin and mine. And on the third day, that's why we're so excited about Easter here. That's why we've gone to efforts to help your family have have an Easter season where you're anticipating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because on April 4th, we're going to celebrate Resurrection Sunday on campus and online and on demand For as long as you'll let us celebrate, we're going to celebrate who Jesus is because he conquered sin and death and hell. And that means my sin and my death and my hell. Oh, and by the way, your sin and your death and your hell. And when he conquered it, he he showed up to those men and women who had been his closest followers. And when he did, he did something really, really interesting. 
John records it for us in the 20th chapter, the 19th verse of, of his gospel. Listen as I read. On the evening of that day, Resurrection Sunday, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were because they were afraid of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord, and Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Do you hear what happened? Jesus breathed his Spirit into the people who were hurting and broken and afraid. And he set them free. And he gave them a mission. He empowered them with a purpose for their life. You're not just here by accident. No, there's a purpose for your life. There's a purpose for my life. God has a designed purpose for every one of us who've ever breathed life. Every one of us who's ever made a decision to take the next breath. Even if you're far away from God, even if you failed God in every part of your life, even if you think no one could ever forgive you, what Jesus did is Jesus said, you know what, I'll die for you, I will forgive you, and I'm going to give you my breath into your life so that you can live forever with a purpose. What's your purpose? Did you hear it? Forgive those who are sinning. Your purpose, my purpose, is to bring forgiveness because the Spirit of God, the breath of God has breathed into us and forgiven us. Now we're to be people who forgive others. And in the forgiveness they will find their purpose. Because you see, the breath of God's Spirit leads us to a, a life marked by love. A life where other people understand that the only way any of us can really breathe is through the Spirit of God breathing in us. Paul, Paul, who was one of the men sitting around the table in Jerusalem when this letter was written. Paul, who had been sent by those Gentiles, he had been telling about Jesus, to Jerusalem along with Barnabas to ask the questions. Paul, who took the letter along with Barnabas and Silas and Barsabbas, and they went back to Antioch. Paul, who would share the results of this question with the Gentile believers. Paul would later write to the church in Thessalonica, a church that he himself would tell about Jesus. The people he would say to them, your sins are forgiven because the breath of God is at work in you. He, he would write these words. Look at them from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. 
Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. That word quench, it's connected to that word strangled. What Paul is telling the people who are reading this letter and telling you and me 2,000 years later is this. When God gives you life through his breath in you, when God sets you free from the pain and the bondage and the suffering, when God gives you a purpose by breathing his spirit of life into you so you can give that same forgiveness and love and grace to others, don't quench the spirit. Don't strangle it out of your life with your own ideas and your own hurts and pains. No, no, you, you live the life of love and grace and devotion to the one true God and breathe. Oh, my friends, breathe with the breath of the Spirit of God. 